Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard It's time for Eric Roberts is the fucking man, episode number 19, featuring all of all you ever needed to know about Eric Roberts, but were afraid to ask. Yes, it's once again time for the number one Eric Roberts related podcast, not hosted by Eric Roberts. And on the docket today are two more Eric Roberts masterpieces. We're so lucky. We really are so lucky to be able to experience all of these in pairs, uh, simply because it takes less time toward the rest of our lives to get through it that way. Uh, I'm Doug Tilly, and with you as always, now is my newly blood-oathed partner in crime, Mr. Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm really great. How are you doing? I'm doing better than ever because I'm going to have an opportunity over the next 90 minutes to talk about Eric Roberts and Eric Roberts movies. Now, have you been watching any Eric Roberts movies on your off time over the last, uh, say, two weeks or so? Um, I've tried to catch up on a few of the movies that you've covered on past episodes that I have now missed out on, and I feel mildly cheated, uh, maybe not robbed, but at least unlucky. No, you're right to do that now because, again, you did make a blood oath to watch all media featuring Eric Roberts. Now, I, for, I forgot to mention while you were doing your blood oath that, that that does include the radio show that Eric and his wife do, which at some point we're just going to have to – we'll have to <laughs> – I'm not sure how many episodes there are. I think it might be something along 100. So uh, we might have to get to that in kind of like a weekend marathon or something along those lines. But, uh, but that, that can wait. But but the films that we've already covered on the show, that can't wait. So what have you been watching, Liam? Well, uh, I went back and watched um, Raggedy Man. And oh! Then, yeah, I, I mean, I, have, I saw that movie when I was young, but I did not remember it at all. And so I rewatched that. And then, you know, one of these, what is the, it's, it's funny because it's too, I think, I, I don't, think you cover them on the same episode but they weren't mm-hmm. far from each other but it was a uh, some ridiculous horror movie with eric roberts in it as the cause of uh the suffering of teenagers and i don't even that know. would be camp dread i believe yes 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 um but i have not watched much else than that i've been trying to catch up with stuff for my other podcast and to make sure i'm all ready for tonight for tonight for yeah. tonight yeah no and i like that you're 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 Really taking the bull by the horns here, it sounds to me like, Liam, that you want the student to become the master. Uh, you want to take over my Eric Roberts supremacy, and I appreciate that. I mean, I will, I will face you on an Eric Roberts-related duel at some point, but let's leave that for the future. And in fact, would, Liam? Would it be a hair-related duel? Shut up, Liam. <laughs> because we have a guest who's actually appearing on this episode and uh, just waiting Probably sitting on his hands at the moment, waiting to interject his opinion on Eric Roberts. Uh, This time, we have a writer, interviewer, musician, podcaster, and Huguenot from the After Movie Diner podcast. It's Mr. John Cross. How are you doing today, John? Uh, I'm good, Doug, but I'd like to correct you. It's actually Huguenot. Is it Huguenot? Yeah, you don't pronounce the T. It's a French word. Yeah, but I'm not French. (laughs) 
it I don't have a, I don't have a Actually, funny accent minute, like ca- some people. You're Canadian, this. so you're mm-hmm. like second in line to being French. You know what I mean? It's like France is first, then Canada. They don't really have anywhere else, apart from a few islands here and there. Well, John, you would be the expert on that, not me. John, I need to ask you, since yes. you are a guest on this podcast, what has been your life experience with Eric Roberts? Well, I mean, like most, uh, obviously, I've seen the hits, uh, mm. the Pope of Greenwich Village. Uh, I've seen Best of the Best. Um, I've, I always remember, I, and I don't know if this was just a trailer that played on all VHS or whether it was just a few <laughs> that I owned, but I distinctly remember the trailer for It's My Party right. being on multiple VHS that I owned, and I don't quite know why. Yeah, no, that was I, – I, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because – just thinking back, I remember seeing that trailer over and over again, and it must have been on various VHS tapes that I uh, that I rented. And we haven't covered that movie yet, but we certainly will on a very special episode. Uh, one of my favorite, though, of all Eric Roberts' performances is probably in that classic uh, action movie of the modern age, DOA. That's probably <laughs> one of my favorite Eric Roberts' performances because it is just so off the chain uh, as to be... Uh, improbable uh, and yet there it is before your very eyes and how beautiful it is his uh, evil villain role in that especially the final fight um it's it's just tremendous that movie <laughs> i did enjoy that a lot he shows off some of his lingering best of the best skills during that fight uh, john are you a video game enthusiast no no not really i mean i've i've played video games i'm aware of the gaming world mm-hmm. uh, but i'm a movie enthusiast first right now but you do know that doa was based upon a video game. I think the movie pretty much makes that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> I think if any movie went, by the way, we're based on a video game, it's probably this and Street Fighter. Liam, are you aware of this video game? No, I am unaware completely. John, do you know enough about this video game to know what its trademark is? No. Well, I'll tell both of you. Okay. <laughs> that DOA Dead or Alive was best known as a fighting game that had realistic jiggle physics in it. So that when the women uh-huh. fighters were to fight in it, their breasts would jiggle up and down in a realistic manner. Now excellent. I remember. <laughs> now, now Liam remembers, and John thinks it's excellent. In fact, it was such a popular uh, element of that game that they spun off the fighting series into a volleyball game, which featured all of the characters in bikinis and jiggling around. Was there a home version of this oh yes oh absolutely in fact i think the uh, volleyball game was was only a home version and in fact if you go back and watch doa dead or alive you'll find that there is a sequence in that movie that involves beach volleyball specifically because of that video game what what i like is that years and years ago back in the 80s in the days of vhs Mm -hmm. uh i think it's behind the scenes of evil dead 2 that greg nicotero shot as he used to shoot all his behind the scenes stuff which is awesome um they had to to get realistic uh, jiggling titties on one of the monsters, I believe the Henrietta monster. They had to put sacks of beans um, or pulses or nuts or whatever it was, sacks of something uh, in the prosthetic boobies uh, for Henrietta. So we progressed as a people from that, uh, or you know, from sacks of beans all the way through to realistic uh, technological digital jiggle. We are living in the future, John, as you, yeah. just, as you just made very clear. John, you have a, uh, a musical ability. <laughs> Hardly, Doug, but uh, I'll take the compliment, sure. Well, t- can you tell us a little bit about your musical past and what you're currently doing involving music? 
Um, my musical past, I, okay, it, uh, honestly now, without me being ridiculous, um, mm -hmm. I started off writing very silly comedy songs with my old, old comedy writing partner, John Wallace, uh, who's um, been the co-host on my uh, podcast many a time. And um, from there, just when I was like a teenager, just kind of hid away in my room with a four-track machine and uh, started to tentatively write serious songs but didn't kind of share them with anyone because uh was embarrassed about the lyrics or whatever it was because you have to kind of work your way through that horrible teenage poetry stage mm -hmm. uh, which i'm still working through now 20 years <laughs> later um and then i guess sort of once um i got out my own computer and and then things like garage band and and other programs allowed you to kind of uh do multiple tracks and it wasn't like four track you didn't have to keep looping it down you could just keep going and going and going um and being a sort of singer songwriter who can play lots of instruments but none of them well so I'm not a huge performer, but I do like writing songs. So digital allowed me to put together song after song after song. And now I tend to release kind of two or three albums a year because then along came the internet and was like, we are going to give you all these platforms that you can put your stuff out on. So, um, so yeah, over the last, I don't know, three or four years, I've been on Bandcamp and I've been on... Um, uh, iTunes and Spotify and various other places. And then also about two years ago, three years ago on my podcast, um, I was doing songs about all the movies and actors and directors and things. And uh, so I started writing like a song every week for about sort of what um, Rue does for sure. No Budget Nightmares. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was doing that for, I think I did that for about like 35 weeks or something before I just kind of ran out of steam. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's, there's a few, I still keep my hand in like doing very silly comedy songs about movies, but, uh, or about, I did a whole 10 track album, for example, about Donald Pleasance, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, called the Pleasancing, exclamation mark. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where you find me right now. I'm just about to uh, uh, release actually a double album. What? Uh, one and two. It's going to be a two-volume uh, uh, masterpiece. Wow. Now, now, John, I should ask you, who are your biggest musical influences? I'm guessing Chris Cornell, Rihanna, Mariah Carey, that sort of thing. Oh, sure. Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. All the greats. Mm -hmm. All the greats. Um <laughs> No, uh, honestly, I mean, obviously, Tom Waits, um, the Traveling Wilburys. Um, uh, the Tragically Hip. I know you're the, a big fan. The Tragically Hip, definitely. I mean, the, the, it, it, it depends what band I'm, whether I'm playing uh, with my friend James, who I'm in a kind of ad hoc band with, or whether I'm writing stuff by myself. By myself, I tend to be, it tends to be more kind of singer-songwriter stuff. Um, but if I'm playing with Jim, we do take a lot of influences from uh, Tragedy Hit, Wilburys, things like that. So, right. yeah. Now, Liam, I'm talking to you now. Sure. Now, Liam, you have a musical background as well as we dis discussed on the most recent episode. Sure. And in fact, uh, after that episode, a mutual friend of ours sent me some of the music that uh, you were no. the lead singer for. Oh, God. No, he did not. <laughs> oh, so wait a minute. Did. You had me ramble on about my horrible, horrible stuff just so we could embarrass Liam. Is that the point? Actually, you rambling on about your horrible music reminded me of Liam's <laughs> music. I'm just kidding, of course. In fact, the reason I brought it up, John, was because we're going to be featuring some of your music in, in between segments on this show. And I wanted people to be prepared for it as we yeah, go you, along. You wanted to give me the opportunity to apologize now. There you go. Record. Yeah. 
And uh, and I guess now that I've mentioned uh, Liam's musical past, maybe we can fit uh, uh, maybe at least a portion of one of your songs at the very end of the show to keep people listening. How does that sound, Liam? That sounds terrible. Well, <laughs> let me just say, I'm sure we can squeeze in Liam's portion at any point during the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can find a way. And we'll talk about that more after the Roberts Report. <laughs> The latest, greatest Eric Roberts news on this week's Roberts Report. And now this is very exciting. This is something, this is, this is like living in the future, as we just mentioned moments ago. Using the extraordinary technology of Periscope, actor Andy Dick, who we all know and love, live streamed some sort of weird gambling event that involved cars. It was some sort of celebrity poker thing. I didn't really understand what was going on. But what I did understand was that Andy Dick seemed like he was, well, let's, let's be charitable and say drunk. Uh, and uh, was complaining very openly about the fact that he was the only celebrity there until he witnessed someone in the background. Who was that person, Liam? Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts was on that uh, live Periscope, and it was very exciting. We did get a few minutes of Eric Roberts looking somewhat uncomfortable as Andy Dick was filming him during this event. It was pretty great. Uh, And in fact, I was very surprised to see it, and I was glad someone passed that along to me. Uh, they all it was was them conversing for uh, for a few minutes. Uh, and for those who are long list long time listeners of the show, you may recall that there's a very good reason that Andy Dick and Eric Roberts might have a pre existing relationship because they were on the television series Less Than Perfect together. Which now you haven't caught up on that yet, have you, Liam? No, I have not. Well, it's good, Liam. Oh, I'm I don't mean not the show. It what we saw was terrible, but it's good <laughs> because we only watched the pilot, and now you and I can continue on and watch all the rest of the episodes that feature Eric Roberts. I think there's two seasons. Oh, man, that's really great. (laughs) What's incredible is that he does 60 movies a year. He does this radio show that you said with his wife, which I presume is also in podcast form. I I presume that, too. I should really find out one of these days. Right. Okay. And then he even has time to show up at a celebrity car auction with Andy Dick. Like... I just, I mean, does he ever sleep? Does the man ever sleep? My (laughs) understanding, I have a picture of him sleeping with a cat laying on him, so I know he does sleep, but my understanding is that he has horrific insomnia because on the episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, which covered uh, some of the ghost-related reality television that Eric Roberts has appeared on, he did mention getting up in the middle of the night because he had insomnia and seeing a ghost in his kitchen. I think he has insomnia because he's trying to memorize about 75 different <laughs> scenes all at once. Because he's in 50 movies, but he's only in like one scene of every film. John, what do you think about, what do you think about Andy Dick? I, he, okay, he's one of those people <laughs> that I absolutely, he just makes me want to break <laughs> plates over him and kneecap him with a, a hacksaw. I really, like, there's nothing funny about the man. I, I, I'm not offended by him. A lot of people, oh, he's crude or whatever. No, I'm not offended by him. He's just, <laughs> he's just awful. And it's fine. I mean, the only exposure I've really had to him is like the Ben Stiller show and then a couple of other things. I don't right. go out of my way to be like, oh, Andy Dick's in this. I must sit there while I scrape my nails along a blackboard and have some fillings done. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't do that. But yeah, every time he shows up in something, he occasionally shows up in like a uh, one of these big comedies or on a podcast. Or something. I just, oh. <laughs> Liam O'Donnell, were you a fan of news radio? 
I was a fan of news radio, though uh, Phil Hartman is much more of the draw for that show than Andy Dick. Not well, Joe- and for me, Dave Foley, of course, because I'm yeah. a Kids in the Hall fan. And Joe Rogan for the both of you? Of course. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> the big news of the Eric Roberts verse this week. That was, was sarcastic, of course. <laughs> was Eric's appearance on a show that, strangely, we've never mentioned on this podcast, considering he's made, I think, upwards of 10 appearances on it. It's a show called Lost Girl, and it's Canadian. At least that's my understanding. It's I think it's made in Canada, and it shows on a Canadian station, but obviously has been picked up at some sort of syndication-type deal in the States as well. Lost Girl recently featured in its um, final season premiere, Eric Roberts as Hades. Uh, For those who are not familiar with the show, as uh, I was not, Lost Girl focuses on the gorgeous and charismatic Bo, a supernatural being called a succubus who feeds on the energy of humans, sometimes (laughs) with fatal results. Refusing to embrace their supernatural clan system and its rigid hierarchy, Bo is a renegade who takes up the fight for the underdog while searching for the truth about her own mysterious origins. Uh, like I said, I know nothing about it outside it has it's Canadian you and Eric wacky Roberts. Canadians, you with your wacky movies and TV shows. But Liam, are you excited about watching the uh, well, not the entire series of that, thankfully, but uh, at least eleven episodes, maybe ten. I do find it interesting that uh, we would probably watch those separated from the rest of the show. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping that I'll be super confused for all the episodes. What's what would be great is to watch three that maybe they're spread out from like the first, second, fourth season. And not know what the fuck is going on the entire time. And then have people who are fans of the show get very angry at us. Because my understanding is this show has a fairly large audience. I think this uh, final season that's happening right now is the fifth season. Five seasons, Liam. I've definitely heard about it. Um, I know it has some uh, presence in the culture because I've seen <laughs> random pictures of it on Tumblr. That's, a, that's usually my measure is... What are what are what are the young kids posting on on the Tumblr? That must be something that people care about. Are we so old and out of touch that we don't know the intense lost girl fandom that's out there? That's yeah, very we're, we're old and out of touch, most definitely. Oh, Although wow. I have to say, the most exciting part of that is that I desperately, desperately hope that the opening credit sequence—you have the normal opening credit sequence. And then as the the show starts, it just comes up with the immortal credit and Eric Roberts as Hades. Like now that's that, I just want that. That that would be perfect for me. I mean, I'm a, Eric Roberts, as we will see in one of the uh features uh on this episode. In fact, both you could make a case. Uh he's very good at playing a complete fucking asshole. Yeah. So uh and, and a kind of a sleazy, devious style asshole. So maybe uh playing Hades would be right up his alley. Oh, yeah, no, I just want to see the television credit and Eric Roberts as Hades, because it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like a joke that I would write into one of my sketches on the, the diner. Like, it sounds like one of those stream of consciousness, what the fuck moments where you're just like, Eric Roberts as Hades, but someone actually went ahead and did it. And I think probably what will happen, and, and you all know this better than I would, Doug, but he's going to be in so many things mm-hmm. that he will just quite literally end up playing everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like when I, I uh, was researching Donald Pleasance for the album, and it's over three movies. 
he plays the guy who ordered the POWs to be killed, the guy who <laughs> killed the POWs, and the POW who was killed in World War II. He manages to play the orderer, the executioner, and the victim over the span of three films. So if Pleasance can manage that, I'm sure Eric Roberts can play, you know, Hades, God, Jesus. Like, he'll do the three. Like, he'll figure it out. Well, I'm looking forward to him taking on the role of John Cross at some point. in the <laughs> I want to hear that I, accent. And I get to an age where I get to play Eric Roberts. That, <laughs> I, I get to play Eric Roberts, and he gets to play me um, like Python do in Meaning of Life. They play. He plays me as a schoolboy, but clearly as like a 60-year-old man <laughs> in a hat and shorts. That would be uh, Long-time listeners of the show will know Frank D'Angelo's Sicilian Vampire, mostly because of an article that I can't remember where it was, but it was an article about... Um, how James Caan had appeared in it and how sad it was to see him in this movie. But Frank D'Angelo is sort of a Toronto-based personality who uh, is very good at promoting himself, uh, but unfortunately is not known for making quality movies. Uh, in fact, the same time that this press release that I'm just about to mention came out, there was a simultaneous press release saying that he's making a family movie, or producing it, I believe, which is going to feature the Pope in a major role. Uh, yes, the Pope. No Pope in Sicilian Vampire to my... Uh, to my chagrin, but it does have an all-star cast, and I think it actually includes the late Robert Loja at this point, and also Eric Roberts, but uh, I'm bringing it up because just a couple of days ago, there was a uh, new press release saying that it's going to have a theatrical release in Canada and USA at the end of February with Europe soon to follow. So if you're in a major metropolitan area, which I am not, uh, maybe you'll be able to see Sicilian Vampire with Eric Roberts in a theater. Uh, John, are you interested in seeing Sicilian vampire yes uh most definitely doug i don't know how uh often you listen to the show or if you listen to my show anymore but uh my friend james and i have been going to these screening for one week in a tiny theater <laughs> in new york movies and and reviewing quite a lot of them so if sicilian vampire comes my way uh, here in new york city then uh, yeah i will definitely go and review it um our biggest disappointments were that um dragon's blade with uh, an equally bizarre cast as any Eric Roberts film, Adrian Brody, John Cusack, and Jackie Chan uh, <laughs> did not come out in a theater in New York, despite pub being publicized that it would. Uh, neither did uh, the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Pound of Flesh, which we we're also looking forward to. Um, but hopefully Sicilian Vampire, hopefully that will come out, because I am excited by that. Well, you'll have to give us your thoughts when you see Sicilian Vampire, uh, hopefully at the end of February. Finally, on the Roberts Report this week, recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2000-somethings, <laughs> The Unbreakable Sword, directed by a man named Ted Betts. Uh, <laughs> and, all bets are off for all... that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in an attempt to do a little research, because I do this sometimes, I wanted to find out a little bit more about Ted Betts because his IMDb profile doesn't list any other films or any other film work that he's ever done. So I went to his production company website, and that also lists nothing at all. But it does have two social media links, and those link to accounts which have listed nothing at all. But apparently... He's going to direct a movie called The Unbreakable Sword, which is about a, uh, in 1914, a British officer and his missionary niece trek across dangerous East African terrain pursued by enemy natives intent on stopping them from reaching a distant outpost. And will feature Mr. Eric Roberts as Captain Lockwood. But really, and I, you know, I don't want to insult the other people on the cast, 
really nobody else of note on the uh, on the cast of the Unbreakable Sword. I have to be honest, a period piece, nineteen fourteen, British officer and missionary niece. Sounds like this could be a pretty expensive movie. What do you think, Liam? You could do a low budget version of it, but uh, it, they have a reported uh, budget of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh, okay. That's yeah. That's plenty. That'll do. That's plenty. For, yeah, that'll that'll work. Yeah, period film set in East Africa. That should be easy enough to manage. And I assume they'll just enough. green screen the whole thing, right? Like they'll probably film it in uh, film it in Vancouver, isn't that where all movies are filmed? Yeah. <laughs> that that in fact is one of the locations of today's uh, one of today's features that we'll get to in just I, a little I had, bit. I had a question for the uh, the Eric Roberts hosts. This is this is quite unusual, but uh, but we will allow it. Okay, who do you reckon makes more money, Eric Roberts or his agent? <laughs> now that is a tremendous question, and I thankfully have a tremendous answer because Eric Roberts' agent is his wife, Eliza Roberts. You're kidding me? No, nope. In fact, uh, we covered an episode of Celebrity Wife Swap, which involved <laughs> Eric Roberts <laughs> and um, Robin Leach from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous swapping their wives. Um, and uh, we learned all about how uh, Eliza so, Roberts has to like bring him to auditions and manage a schedule and and uh, book him for uh, roles. So ask ah so Doug and and them. Let me ask you this then: Do you reckon that Roberts suddenly becoming this massively prolific had to do with uh, marrying his wife? And his wife being like, you're not sitting around here all day. We've got bills to pay and, and food to buy and things like that. Get out there and work. Do you reckon she's the one? I think that's a, a rather cynical way of looking at it. <laughs> uh, I actually I actually think because my understanding and... Uh, Me? I, cynical about marriage? Doug? No. <laughs> my understanding, and certainly Eric Roberts can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is that... Eric Roberts and his wife travel to a lot of these locations together. They certainly go to all of the different convention appearances that he makes together. Uh, and uh, she's often in the films. In fact, we've seen her in so many of the movies so far in small roles as well. So I think part of it is that they like to travel together. He'll work. You know, she'll work to, 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 uh, on his schedule while he's working on a movie. And it's just a way to kind of be together all over the world. I know. I mean, look, I, I've said before, and I mean this with all seriousness, if I could ever con my way even into the tiniest portion of something like this where I just potted around the world showing up in, you know, 30 seconds in some movie in Thailand, <laughs> I would do it in a heartbeat. Like if that was some and the fact that his wife is also funneling the money through into and then he's funneling <laughs> money through and they're able to travel together and everything like in all honesty that that's that's as someone currently basking in the glow of new love that that would be tremendous that would be wonderful who wouldn't want that life i don't i'm not being uh, uh, cynical about it i think it's i think it's tremendous um that does but, bring us uh, on to a topic that i've been very curious about a slight tangent from our usual eric roberts discussion i was just thinking could you Speaking to both of you, Liam and John, do you think if you made a small appearance in a fantastically popular movie like a Star Wars or an Indiana Jones or something like that, do you think you could make a living going to conventions all over the world? Yes. What do you think, Liam? I actually don't think so. I don't think – I don't see the same level of obsessive fandom for new things, but – I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know what any of the Harry Potter actors are doing right now, so maybe that's maybe that's how some of them are getting by. But I don't know. Like when you go to a horror convention, 
someone who was in a slasher movie in 1972 is still getting paid. Is that true for the straight to DVD, whatever, or right. even for a bigger movie? I don't know. Well, say, I, I mean, just using the example of um, The Force Awakens, and I have a small part in The Force Awakens, and I'm going to, maybe I'd have to give it a couple of years, and then I start making convention appearances. Do you think, you think it would be difficult for me to sustain myself based on going to, from convention to convention? Are you that uh, stormtrooper in Force Awakens that everyone made such a big deal about for no reason? Because <laughs> if so, then yeah, you're going to get paid. But if you're anybody else, I don't know. I am Porkins from uh, <laughs> from the original trilogy, and uh, I die rather horrifically. But uh, but hey, that's not a bad gig. I mean, I think to to be honest, of all the conventions I've gone to, and there, I mean, there is a convention like every every weekend in the U.S. Right? Mm-hmm. like. Across the country, sometimes multiple conventions on one weekend. Um, I think you need to have been sort of somewhere near the main cast of at least one relatively well-known movie. I don't think if you're like third stormtrooper from the left that you could do it. But like Peter Mayhew goes round as Chewbacca to every convention that will have him. Um, and all he's ever done really is Chewbacca. You know what I mean? And all he is is a dude in a suit. And I'm not taking anything away from Mayhew. I'm just saying it's not like he then went on and did a whole bunch of other stuff. So, um, and and he makes money going from place to place. Amber Benson, who was in Buffy for whatever it was, two or three seasons, yeah. and then did a bunch of internet stuff. As Tara from Buffy, that was enough for her to go from convention to convention to convention. That's but even like you, been enough for her to like produce her own indie movies. And sure, stuff, but like so. you said, I mean that's a fairly large role in a fairly visible property that has a huge cult around it. Do you think that someone like a, a Tony Todd or a Michael Berryman could survive strictly on appearing in conventions? I think that's what Michael Berryman has been doing. I mean, not well, Tony he makes Todd, a lot of appearances in independent movies too. But like I really I, small. I, I, I'm not convinced there's a modern equivalent of that is what right. I, is what I feel like. Like, I don't know who's in. I don't know if someone could be in something now that. Oh, I see what you mean, Liam. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because be, a lot of what's maintaining uh, convention culture is nostalgia. Right. It's so much nostalgia. And I'm actually not convinced that in 30 years, anyone's going to be nostalgic for right now. Wow, well, look at you, Liam. Just yeah, saying. I mean, I don't, I don't know because I think Doug hit on hitting the nail on the head earlier was like we're a bit old now. Like in terms of trying to figure out whatever the kids are into now. I mean, I could make some, you know, even at this point, Justin Bieber is dated. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. even he is like he's turning twenty two now. He's old hat, you know. Um, so I don't even know. Like when Adele single came out and there was a big whoop about Adele, I was mm-hmm. like, she's still a thing. Like I didn't even know she was still a thing. I'm not even. Care. I didn't even know she was a thing in the first place. Then she became a thing. Then she was still a thing, and I was like, really, she's still a thing. Well, um, I but, to support what you're saying, it almost felt like she came back. Like she put out a new album, and people were like, Adele's ever, back. And I'm like, how can what you ever come back? back? Right. Yeah, exactly. The Rolling Stones can have a comeback, you know. But, uh, Adele does. Like, so what I mean is, and I, okay, that's music, but but um, in terms of what's popular, I, I mean, I I get surprised everywhere I go that that guy who played the Green Power Ranger has lines <laughs> round the block for him, and I'm like, really? <laughs> like, if the pink one shows up, would they also get, you know? Like, oh yes, she would. <laughs> right. But I'm just what I'm saying is I didn't even know the Power Rangers were that much of a thing. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. 
Something's yeah. cropped up the other day that Pokemon was still a thing. I'm like, really? So honestly, I am so out of touch with whatever is meant to be hip and popular. I mean, I know Harry Potter continues to be uh, successful and, and popular, but to your point about all the actors in that, the three um, child actors have all gone on and done movie after movie. I mean, not so much the ginger one, but the other two have. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Because people hate the gingers. The ginger one is in a, a new movie with Ron Perlman. I do know that. He is. Yes, he is. But no one will go and see it. No. And <laughs> uh, well, and if they do, it's for Ron Perlman. It's not for mm -hmm. Ron Weasley, right? <laughs> so <laughs> Very good. <laughs> thank you. But all the adult stars of Harry Potter were already all established actors in their own right. There was right. no one in that cast as uh, adults that have gone on. I mean, I don't know if like one of Weasley's cousins or whatever, one of the other ginger kids, whether they're doing conventions and stuff, I've no idea. But um, again, Harry Potter seems like 10 years ago now. I don't yeah, right. <laughs> when was the last well, one came out? You know, I, I I'm just glad that, that kids are as excited as ever about Eric Roberts and his career. And just finishing off uh, what we were just talking about, Daniel Radcliffe just had a movie play at Sundance where he played a farting corpse that uh, was able to fly through the air, I think directed by his penis, which also acted as a compass. So uh, I'm not making that up. That's actually a movie that played at Sundance this year. And that's a great thing to end this Roberts Report on. Liam, what movies are we covering today? We are covering uh, Shannon's Rainbow, otherwise known as Amazing Racer, mm. and uh, Assault on Wall Street, otherwise known as Something I Forget. Mm -hmm. Attack on Wall Street, also no. known as Battle for Wall Street, also known as Wall Street's <laughs> Helm's Deep. I've no idea. <laughs> but before we talk about Shannon's Rainbow, let's take a little break and listen to some of John Cross's music when we return 2009's Shannon's Rainbow. <laughs> seen him in over 16 years he left behind a daughter yours both of you were lied to now you get to heal together i'm not sure i know how to do that hey shannon i'm christine eric trains race horses he has the most beautiful farm i hate horses is this the one you were telling me about yeah. in 2009 a very special movie was released a movie about a girl and a horse 
Uh, no, not that one you're thinking of. <laughs> Stop thinking about that. <laughs> no, Eric I'm... Roberts was in that one as well. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking, of course, about 2009's Shannon's Rainbow, a.k.a. Amazing Racer, uh, directed by Frank E. Johnson, who's well-known as a DP for a lot of television work, like Touch by an Angel, but also was a DP on film. <laughs> now, again, DP has to do with director of photography. has nothing to do with that horse movie I was talking about before. <laughs> I was going to say, I was touched by an angel during a DP, but that's totally <laughs> different. It's getting, getting a little out of control here. He was a DP on uh, movies early in his career called Ninja Nightmare, 1982's Raw Force, which is actually Ooh. a lot of fun, and, uh, and Heated Vengeance before moving on to TV work. But uh, very few directorial credits until 2009's Shannon's Rainbow. It was also written by Linda Morris and John Mowood. Linda Morris, one of her interesting credits is a as a production coordinator on Nude Yoga Workout from 1995. So That's good, Doug. I would suggest you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about Shannon's Rainbow in just a moment. Just let me give you an idea of the plot. It's about uh, a, a young woman, 16 years old, who recently experienced the death of her father. It's actually loosely based on the death of a uh, good friend, of uh, the writer John Mowood, uh, and uh, they collaborated on the outline of the film before their friend uh, passed away. So it's dedicated to him, and uh, this friend who passed away was actually uh, part of the concept of the movie itself. But it's about a 17-year-old girl, I think she's 16 in the movie actually, who faces and overcomes hardship with the discovery of the mother she never knew, and with her love for a hobbled horse named Rainbow it is a family movie. It's kind of like Free Willy, except it's got a fucking horse instead of a whale. <laughs> and, and the horse is unfortunately female, so there's no Free Willy there either. Oh, ba-boom. Uh, but I want to get both of your takes on this movie before we get into a deeper conversation. John, what did you think of Shannon's Rainbow? <laughs> um, the, the, the overriding sense I got from Shannon's Rainbow uh, was that the uh, over-emotional um, melodrama of the whole thing <laughs> had me laughing, N not even um, ironically or derisively or anything like that. Just It was just, it just had me laughing. Like, I, uncontrollable laughter uh, during the, um, the, the, the stirring and uh, excessively cliched melodrama that was throughout <laughs> um, that builds to a wonderful bit you were saying about all the dead people there are in this film and there are plenty of dead people knocking about. <laughs> but the fact that right at the end when talking uh, with Claire Falani, her mother, the young girl asks her, so do I have any grandparents? And Claire <laughs> Falani replies, no, my mom died of breast cancer about three years ago. And last year, my dad died in a boating what accident. <laughs> this is no boating accident. <laughs> At which point I was just like, oh, stop it. I couldn't breathe anymore. I was rolling around on the floor in fits of giggles. So utterly, 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 utterly ludicrous film. Uh, <laughs> devoid of any soul. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and also just so random. I think you were the one who mentioned it, Doug, on, on uh, social media. But so random that instead of picking just generic normal horse racing – that it's some mad horse racing with people in carts behind the horse. <laughs> it's cart horse racing. And that's very important to mention because, as and I'm, again, I don't mean to offend anyone who might like horse racing, but horse racing is fucking horrible and it should not exist. But cart horse racing, it, it even is a, another level of ridiculousness above that. Where and, 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 I mean, this movie takes place over a summer. And the girl goes from 
apparently like never doing this before to being one of the best at it. So apparently it doesn't take like a massive amount of skill. But we're going to get into all that when we talk about the movie in more detail. Liam, what did you think of Shannon's Rainbow? I just got to say, as as a resident of Pennsylvania, I'm, I'm very offended at the derogatory kart racing comments. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a Pennsylvania trip. I mean, so... Sorry, I, was... I might have I might have put the cart before the horse on that. One. <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> so I, you know, I was trying to describe this movie to someone. I said it's you know it's a it's a it's a horse racing movie. And they said, oh yeah, okay. And I said, but it's those weird carts. And they're like, oh, with the with the weird whip, the stick whip. Yeah, and I'm like, a whip. Yeah. yeah. They were they were like, you so have to whip the horse to make but, it but, go faster. But here's the thing: I, as soon as I said that, they said, so it's set in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> Central PA, right, <laughs> not far from Pittsburgh. Now, nothing. What's weird is they picked one of the most Pennsylvanian activities, as far as I know. I'm not a lifelong resident, but from what I can tell, this is a thing that people are fucking stoked on around here. And uh, and yet, nothing about the movie feels like Pennsylvania. Like I actually had to look up where they filmed it because I thought they had to have filmed this somewhere else. Like nothing. There's no one there. Looks like they live there. Like nothing makes sense. Yins guys racing the- horses. But the, but the kart racing and what is really upsetting about the kart racing is it really looks like the horses can't gallop. Yeah. Like it's like a race where the horse has to try. It's basically like the horse version of like power walking. Like, like you just have never, to try. Right. It's like people never got over Ben-Hur. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's like the, the people when they're, when they're – Can we do that in real life? But, but if when they're – sorry, just to interrupt, but when they're racing these horses – they have to lay back with their legs spread wide like they're in some kind of stirrups. Uh, it looks ridiculous when they're doing I assume, it. I assume this is some Amish shit going on right now. <laughs> this is what's, what it is. It's definitely like a, you know, they people always talk about the Pennsylvania uh, Dutch, which is really Deutsch. And there's a lot of like weird things in PA that I'm told are German, but no one actually I know from Germany knows what the fuck they are. But yeah, they like the horses and the dicks and the scheiße. <laughs> but yeah, so even let's put the cart racing aside. Sure, let's do the that. The drama of the film doesn't make any no aspects of it make any sense oh i'm glad you're saying this there's no none of the emotional moments make any sense even eric roberts character like why is he doing these things (laughs) nothing makes any sense well nothing is explained absolutely nothing in this movie is explained okay we gotta stop we have to stop for a second because we need to let people know that the cast of this movie is fucking insane just uh, it doesn't make any it's it's literally like how they get these random people together. So, uh, as you mentioned, John, Claire Forlani is in this movie from Mallrats, and uh, I think she was in Tank Girl, and she cries in almost every scene that she's in. She it's... was also in um, Meet Joe Black. That right. was her biggest movie. That, yeah, it's exactly right. So we have j- just a list of few names here. Daryl Hannah is in it. Michael Madsen is in it. Of course, Eric Roberts is in it. The late Charles Durning is in it, and for one scene, as is Steve fucking Gutenberg. Gutenberg. Yeah. We also have Louis Gossett Jr. as well as Clint Eastwood's son, Scott Eastwood, who's about to, I think, hit it big, or unless he ends up being a huge flop, uh, in a very small part in this movie. And when you were saying, Liam, just a moment ago about how ludicrous the central plot is, let's just make that really clear. So we have a young girl, Julianne Michelle plays Shannon Green, so it's Shannon's Rainbow. Her father dies, okay? And I guess Michael Madsen was her father's brother. Is that what we're supposed to interpret? 
I I yeah. couldn't tell if he's so he's actual uncle because she says uncle, but it wasn't clear if it was uncle or like friend of the family uncle. So I wasn't sure. So he, Pro- she she probably goes- a sleazy drinking buddy or you know gamblers anonymous pal or something. No, Michael sure. Madsen is in super nice mode in this, even though he still looks and acts like Michael fucking Madsen. So she she goes to live with him, right? As, as because he's the brother of her father, and. Michael Madsen's wife is the worst person in the world and hates this girl who admittedly is pretty rotten because she's 16 and all 16 year olds are terrible. (laughs) So this girl, after getting in a weird incident with these two people, takes a car and ends up driving it into a pole, apparently in a weird attempt at suicide. Does she drive it into some water? There's a whole thing about like a car going underwater. Was it? You don't see the car. Right. This is the other thing. You never see a wide shot of car going underwater, but you see from her perspective as the driver, water rushing up over the windshield. Right. I thought she hit like a like a, a fire hydrant or something like that, but maybe I'm just remembering oh. wrong. Oh, maybe I I, I barely paid attention. <laughs> <laughs> so so just to get what what's going to happen next. So she's in hospital. They think she tried to commit suicide. Michael Madsen reveals that sh- her mother, who she thought died at childbirth. This is the uh, uh, Shannon's mother. Her mother is still alive. She does not know about her. So instead of Michael Madsen and his wife taking care of this person that they've known since she was born, or at least till she, since she was very, very young, she is going to go and live with this person who has not didn't even know she existed. Oh, no, because she was living with her dad. It's only been a year that they've been looking after her. Yeah, right. I, but what I mean is they're going to stop looking after her and they're going to yeah. put her full time with this mother that she doesn't know and has no relationship with. And just that, over the summer. Just over the summer. Well, that's what they agree upon. But I right. mean, the fact that they call out to her and now, of course, Claire Filani's character, who is her mother, uh, is a is a successful doctor with a nice house. And in fact, the affluence of the people in this movie made me very irritated while I was watching it. But but it just it seems like a fucking crazy Thing. We're using the words insane and crazy a lot on this episode, but it just seems like such a strange thing because I get it, Michael Madsen. Your wife doesn't like her, but she is your family. It's your fucking niece, so you got to take care of her. It just seems like such a weird transition, too. Like, you know, I think you should live with your mother. <laughs> By the way, your mother's alive. Yes. Uh, what and it that... feels like is an insane amount of needless and pointless exposition. Yes. None of that need happen. No. None none of that need happen. Couldn't Claire Ferrani have just been her aunt that she didn't know very well or something or like that? Just have Claire Ferrani is her mother. They've been living. The dad's just died. The mother gets a new boyfriend, and their boyfriend happens to own a ranch. Then we're straight into it. Like, you really don't need anything else. You don't need any of the backstory at all. It just gives you an excuse for her and Claire Filani to have a conversation that actually takes place in this movie, and my jaw hit the fucking desk when it did, because she turns around and she goes, did you just lose your dad and then find out that you had had a mother you didn't even know about, that you'd been lied to about your entire life, and blah, 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 blah. blah. She goes... No, I just found out that my ex-husband died and then I have a daughter that I didn't know about and blah, 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 blah. Like, that was actually a conversation they had and I was just like, that is unbelievable that someone sat there and wrote it and then Claire Filani and this Mickey Mouse or whatever she was, Juliana Michelle, had this discussion. Incredible. Now, I, I didn't really give my thoughts on the movie and uh, this might come as a surprise to the both of you. But I actually really enjoyed watching Shannon's Rainbow 
I wouldn't say necessarily, ironically. Uh, I'm, I agree with you 100%, John. It didn't feel sincere at all because all the drama is very manufactured in the movie. To a certain extent, it was the parade of familiar faces that were coming through. And also the fact that at some point, like halfway through the movie, they decide, let's bring in Louis Gossett Jr. as the old horse expert to come in and, you know, kick this horse into shape. Uh, and, and then she's going to win this big race at the end. And it was so manipulative that I almost started to enjoy it because I haven't watched a family movie that was really manipulative like this for a really long time. What you were saying, Liam, is another thing that I wanted to mention, which is that the movie doesn't explain as much as you might think it would. There's a lot of background that's happened that you don't really... Like, I don't really understand everything with Louis Gossett Jr.'s character at all. Like, there's a part, and we, we let's make this clear, too. Eric Roberts plays the bad guy in this movie. He has a competing horse ranch, and he, he, at one point, buys the horse, but because no one can ride it except for Shannon, he basically whips it half to death and then sends it off to the glue factory. Um, but but they manage to stop the drivers of this vehicle that is going to uh, bring the horse to its death, played by Steve Gutenberg and Charles Durning. <laughs> and, and poor Charles Durning. He looked like he didn't know what the fuck was going on in his scenes. Uh, and he gets the horse back, and they manage to bring in Louis Gossett Jr. to heal this horse with his magic healing powers. It's a really strange segment, but what I wanted to ask you guys is, why was Louis Gossett Jr. so scared of Eric Roberts coming to his house? Nobody knows. Absolutely, there's nothing... Like, he hides explained. in the bushes to stay away from him, right? It, it, it wasn't explained, like, why he was an old drunk, why, why, there was a, why they were only just now getting him to work on the horses if he was such a miracle worker. Why didn't they have him working on all his horses? That didn't make any sense either had he worked for eric roberts in the past and now didn't anymore did he still work for eric roberts was but was doing work behind the scenes with this uh um uh, shannon like right the, none of that was explained why he was an old drunk why he was sleeping downstairs downstairs on his fold-out couch rather than upstairs in a bed like <laughs> none of that was explained whatsoever it wasn't explained either what the big rivalry was between eric roberts and the boyfriend of claire Falani. Right, i right. don't know who's played by but at one point he was like this is payback for what and i thought we're gonna find that out nope did, nope. So <laughs> did either one of you catch why shannon is not into horses like they ask her pretty yeah, early she, on like you like horses and she's like no like it's she, like a big issue they mentioned that she found out about her father's death while she was riding a horse so it seems to me that even when they explain things, it's ridiculous and doesn't make any sense. So yeah. maybe it's better that they don't explain why uh, at the point where they introduce Louis Gossett Jr., the movie briefly becomes like some sort of weird gangster movie in a sense. Like <laughs> yes. everyone's afraid. There's like a little bit of Eric like... Eric Roberts uh, has a sniveling weasel guy who tries to poison the horse but gets caught by, and get this, Tom Atkins who has... A tiny part as a police officer in this movie who first catches the guy doing that and then he goes and arrests Eric Roberts at the horse race in, I mean, you want to talk about a ludicrous ending. I don't know what the fuck was going on at that point. He, he arrested him for murder. <laughs> he, he walks in, he walks in. I'm going to arrest you. What are you arresting me for? Uh, attempted murder, grievous bodily harm, some other of stuff. <laughs> like he literally just goes... Lots of stuff. Like, it was almost like Tom Atkins had a big speech there and just went to the director. I'm not reading all this. I'm going to say the first two lines, and then I'm going to go, and stuff. And then he's going to say his line about, uh, can you just let me walk out of here? And I'm going to say, you don't deserve it. But all right, go ahead and do yeah, it. Yeah, they like, let him do it anyway. 
the the image the image I have in my head is Michael Madsen gets a call. Like from from I'm assuming he's friends with someone involved with this movie and they just say, you know, we're doing this movie. We need actors in it that will draw people to see it. And Michael Madsen just looks around the people playing poker at his house and he's <laughs> like, yeah, I got some people. I'll just yeah. ask everybody here because it I've doesn't make Kuhnberg, I've got Atkins. Don't worry about it. We'll make it happen. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I've got I got Eastwood's kid over here, too. Can we throw him in the movie? Yeah. Uh, I do have to say, I think Daryl Hannah, who's in the movie just for a little bit at the very beginning, just like Michael Madsen, I think she does a pretty good job in a very small role as the doctor who was kind of trying to help Shannon through her trauma. But it is ridiculous that she doesn't show up again for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I just couldn't help but think you took Neil Young away from his wife. <laughs> oh, God. You hold grudges, John. Now, I really <laughs> have to mention that this movie was photographed by the legendary Dean Cundy, who uh, was also the uh, director of photography on many of John Carpenter's legendary movies, and in fact has had a long career. I mean, I think you can make a case that he might be one of the most well-respected cinematographers in the history of cinema, and he made this movie, which is visually, I will say that it sometimes looks like a movie instead of some sort of straight-to-DVD trash. It doesn't look like that uh, that low budget, but it certainly, there isn't much visually to recommend it. I would agree it looks very good, but do you know when I knew, and it was very, very early on, that this was going to be a tough slog script-wise, <laughs> was that when Daryl Hannah, that, that, this is something that people should be aware of, self-referencing Dangerous waters to play in. Really dangerous waters to play in. But just at the beginning, where they are explaining this ludicrous scenario of how the parents <laughs> didn't want her to have a kid, so she thought she'd got rid of the kid, but she didn't get rid of the kid, and she the kid was told that she was dead, but she isn't really dead, and then the father <laughs> maintained this lie for reasons we don't understand. All this was being explained, and Daryl Hannah turned around and went, you know, they make bad TV movies out of stuff like this. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you see, the trouble is with what you've done there is you've gone, you're watching a bad TV movie. Don't don't let us know that it's a bad TV movie. It that doesn't great. save you. That doesn't make me go, oh, well, if they know it's a bad TV movie, then I'll cut it some slack. It doesn't work that way. You know, It, I mean? it would have been so great if Michael Madison just went right up to her face and went, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> we were in Kill Bill too. <laughs> I, I, I definitely thought at that moment, like that hit me, and I remember thinking, "Well, if we both know, then I guess it's okay." All <laughs> right. If if we make this pact now to wade through this <laughs> shit together, um, but it was so funny watching Michael Madsen attempt to cry and then like <laughs> give up on it. That was hilarious. I mean, He's he was a free willy connection. I don't know if his eyes are capable of tears anymore. No. No, his his eyes are capable of like thousand yards squinting, and that's about it. Uh, I want to mention, uh, going back to Dean Cundy for a second, um, I was at the Toronto International Film Festival this year, and Dean Cundy was there because he was the DP on a movie called The Girl in the Photographs. Uh, and I saw that movie, and it was fucking horrible. The worst movie I saw at TIFF this year. And I am entirely convinced that the only reason it was in the festival was because they wanted to talk to Dean Cundy <laughs> because he had such an interesting and long career. But I will say that uh, his photography does not make Shannon's Rainbow. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe it, 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 again, it rises it above the really low budget straight to DVD or made for television level, but it certainly isn't that impressive. It's time for us to talk about Eric Roberts. <laughs> uh, John, 
knowing that you're a massive Eric Roberts fan, <laughs> uh, what did you think of his performance in Shannon's Rainbow? He plays a real sleaze ball. Yeah, I mean, to to my mind, Eric Roberts plays, um, you know, malevolent sleaze ball so well. You almost feel like in reality he's a bit of a dick. But I happen to know that in reality he's a fairly nice guy by all accounts. I yeah, think. I mean right? that that is the impression that I've gotten, and I have a podcast about him. Certainly, with later years, I think that earlier yes, on, yes, I in think his that, career, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, and I think probably the same could be said for a lot of the guys who, like in the eighties, were big egos and now have kind of gone shit. Maybe we shouldn't be so egotistical. He's truly tremendous in this, and uh, I would say that him, Louis Gossett Jr., and Gutenberg for me steal the movie. That's, Isn't that's, Gutenberg uh, good in his one scene? I was really shocked at how. No, good he's he was. awful. But I mean, that's, that's no. I mean, he commits movie. entirely. To that dumb redneck character. I just, I kind of felt, I mean, actually, I did feel bad for him during that scene. But I thought that he really threw himself in to a role that I never would have connected him with. Right. No, I mean, okay. Steve Gutenberg is uh, not um, a hillbilly. Like, doesn't doesn't come from any of the states where hillbillies come from. Uh, it, in this movie, I was sat watching it and I was like... Why is he spitting out white instead of brown if he's meant to be chewing tobacco? <laughs> Why is his hair ginger? Why That's horse is he cum. Riding... Sorry? That's horse cum. Oh, it is? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he riding around with <laughs> Charles Durning? <laughs> Why is it that they have no concept of how much horses cost? <laughs> and lastly, the thing that blew my fucking mind... Is Mr. Clearly does a day job on a soap opera who played um, Claire Filani's uh, boyfriend. Yeah. Um, he goes to get the horse back, right? It's this big fucking deal. He has to get this horse, right? <laughs> it's ruined his um, uh, a girlfriend's daughter's life. Right. That he put it into a race where it could be so easily bought by Eric Roberts. So he's like, I've got to do something to get it back. He shows up to these two hicks, right? He was prepared to give Eric Roberts earlier in the movie tens of thousands of dollars for this horse. Yeah, I think up to like $40,000 at one point. He haggles two morons from $800 down to $400 <laughs> to the point that he turns around and it's only because Gutenberg is an idiot that Gutenberg goes, no, no, wait, mister, wait, mister, or whatever. But it's like... So wait a minute. This is a sequence entirely in the movie to get the horse back. That's the only reason to have this. And yes, you've got Gutenberg, and yes, you've got uh, Durning. But but why is this haggling sequence in it? I was just watching it, going, "Get on with it! Like, just give them the eight hundred dollars." Like I thought he was prepared to give them thousands when they said eight hundred. He was going to go, "Oh, here's a thousand. Enjoy yourself." But no, he haggles them down. I'm like, why am I watching this? Uh, John, Liam... John, I think you're discounting the wacky factor. Like, <laughs> there was there was a lot of wackiness there that I think, though logically it doesn't make sense, justifies the scene. Yeah, that's justifies right. Justifies the wackiness. They're like those two cops at Last House on the Left, right? you got to have that wackiness. <laughs> right. Because yeah. after, after watching most of Last House on the Left, the one thing you need is some some uh, comedy. <laughs> um, but like the, the the thing of them driving along in the truck being like, we should get ourselves a website. One of the <laughs> modern website things. This was made in 2005. <laughs> you could get away with that joke in like 2001. But in 2009, you can't get away with, well, we should get ourselves a website. Like, Liam, Liam does, does Pennsylvania have a south? <laughs> Well, I mean, the common phrase is 
uh, about Pennsylvania is, you know, Philly and Pittsburgh and Alabama in between. So that's <laughs> sort of the the view of it. So that that part of the portrayal wasn't necessarily bad. I just assumed they were improvising that whole scene that yeah. Charles Durning in real life wanted a website and Steve Gutenberg was just playing. <laughs> he's just playing along like, all right, whatever you say, man, it's cool. Let's well, just go with that. It- don't they call Pennsylvania Pennsylvania? Isn't that what they call it? That's like a new. That's a newer version, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a that's, hipster thing. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Because I, I think that's uh, <laughs> the character from Orange's uh, Orange is the New Black. Oh. She's, that's her name. I think. Oh no, I'd heard it before then. I'd heard yeah, it yeah, like, yeah, when yeah. I first moved to the states about seven years, eight, seven or eight years ago. So look, the, the reality is, you know, I'm not. I, when I'm in Philly, I'm not trying to go west of King of Prussia. Like after that. It's just a no man's land of mullets and raised truck beds. And, <laughs> Listen, you know. I have some lovely friends in Pittsburgh who are wonderful and have mullets and things. So I, I won't hear a word again. No, I actually Pittsburgh's great. We I, I had not visited and I've I've had the occasion to visit now. And it is pretty quickly in the movie. They go they 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 say, you know, she flies into Pittsburgh, but they want you to know pretty quick that she's out in the rural. I was hoping for some Pittsburgh time in the movie. But <laughs> that didn't right. really happen. Yeah, yeah. That would have been amazing. Although Werner Herzog has just done a documentary where he spent some time filming in Pittsburgh. So I can't wait to watch him discuss Pittsburgh in his accent. That that's it's gonna make Liam, me happy. we need to get your opinion on Eric Roberts right now. Sure. I uh, I mean this is his this is later career Eric Roberts this is basically what you want from him all the time. It's just to play this character or some version of this character. Um, I'm, he does I, get the skeet shoot in his front yard. I will say, uh, I wish there had been scenes. There were a lot of scenes in the movie that felt like they were after the scene you wanted to see or they were referencing <laughs> the scene you actually wanted to be watching. So the scene I want to watch is whatever – What what is the justification for his vendetta? Like you don't see that and so there's no – I. You know, there's no real moment for him to freak out or be really. But you know, he plays that role of the kind of heartless, uh, rich jerk pretty well. It just would have been nice to have, I don't know, any kind of understanding of why this guy is this yeah. guy. Like his motivation is not exactly well. Like I guess the suggestion is that he's turned all of the uh, local, well, not all, but at least some of the local farms against him. Uh, just from being a general asshole, but he's obviously also a criminal. Uh, I do have to ask you, Liam, how handsome is Scott Eastwood? It's, uh, I mean, yeah, sure, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Not really. Not really. John, John, what do you think? <laughs> he is. Look, he's in this movie <laughs> playing the guy who is feeding information to Eric Roberts's character uh, and about what's going on with Rainbow. Um, and, uh, he looks sort of like, uh, what's his name? He plays Captain America. Um, and he's a little younger here than he is now. As, Chris Evans? As, yes. He looks no, a little bit like Chris Evans. No, you don't think so? No. I mean, he looks like a superhero, except he, melded with Clint Eastwood. He looked like a generic white dude to me. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup to save my life. You just watch. He's going to be like the biggest star in the fucking world in like God, two I hope years. Not. Ugh. He's going to be <laughs> everywhere. I think he's in Suicide Squad. The the funniest thing is on his IMDb, it says uh, he was born uh, to uh, Jacqueline Ann Reeves, a flight attendant, and Clint Eastwood, an actor director. <laughs> he wanted to join that club. And <laughs> if, if his if his wife, sorry, if his mom is a flight attendant and his dad is Clint Eastwood, like just just say Jacqueline Ann Reeves, 
and Clint Eastwood. Yeah, no like, kidding. Don't list the fact that she's just a flight attendant. <laughs> That's a he very really he needed people to know like that. Right. That way, you know, they'll understand. Yeah. By I the really way, take after my, my mother. I love to fly. That a miserable old Republican slinty <laughs> douchebag managed to nail in an airplane. And I was born several months later. <laughs> Probably just about nine. OK, we need to finish up our conversation about Shannon's rainbow. Before we do that, we need to get a very quick response about whether this film confirms or refutes the very theory of this podcast, which is that Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Starting with you, Liam, fucking man or no? I got to go with yes. I think it's not great. It's not an amazing role, but he definitely is the man in it. And you, John? Yeah, definitely the man. Fuck yes. Yes, fuck yes, indeed. I'll also say that Eric Roberts is the fucking man in this uh, role that allows him to stretch his asshole legs. Uh, and also you get a little bit more Eric Roberts than we get in... in uh... <laughs> or use his legs to stretch his asshole. <laughs> yes, well, that's that other movie we were talking about. Uh, but we get a little bit more Eric Roberts in this movie than we're uh, used to getting in a lot of these recent Eric Roberts movies. Because he's the main villain, it keeps going back to him, and that just puts a big smile on my face. We're going to take another break. We're going to listen to a little more of John's music. And when we come back, we'll talk about 2012's Assault on Wall Street, directed by Uwe Boll, a.k.a. Bailout, The Age of Greed. Yeah, we're going to talk about that very timely movie right after this. It's a bitterly cold and crisp New York day The kind of cold that can make your ears ring And I love you as I run to the delicatessen And suddenly this weather doesn't mean a thing What's our risk? Twelve billion. It's time to dump the certificates. Right now! All right, let's go, people! Let's go, let's go, let's go! The bank calls. What's going on with my funds? Your note's been delisted from the exchange. I've lost all my money. Our priority is saving this company, not the clients. You can declare bankruptcy. So you should have I'll file a loss. I'll get my money back. I'm sorry, Jim. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. It's the banks. Legendary filmmaker Uwe Boll decided to target the fat cats on Wall Street a few years ago with his movie Assault on Wall Street, a.k.a. Bailout, The Age of Greed. Uh, mostly filmed in Vancouver, there were a couple of scenes filmed within New York to keep it on topic, I suppose. Uh, I guess a very timely movie to talk about because there is some crossover with some of the content in uh, this, uh, well, 2015's uh, big breakout um, hit about the uh, the financial crisis in the U.S. The Big Short. Uh, this is <laughs> somewhat literally nothing in common with the Big. No, no. I mean, it does have a little bit in common because it's about the same thing. It's about those fat cats th- on Wall Street. The thing that it has in common is that after both movies, you'll be thoroughly depressed. I, but, you know what? I was depressed in the same way watching these two movies. Really? Oh yeah, no, I, 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 I obviously marked one as being of slightly higher quality, but slightly uh, higher quality. Okay. But I had a, it was hard not to feel extremely cynical uh, about um, 
about a lot of things after watching it, but a different, a, a slightely different kind of cynicism as we'll get into in just a moment. Although uh, I will agree with you that the, the filming of both and the editing of both were absolutely shockingly bad. As good as the big short was in telling the story, the camera work and the editing was fucking abysmal. I don't disagree with that at all. I'm actually right on board with you with that. I like the movie, but I, I found elements of it to be really oddly weak. Yeah, I just sat there going, please zoom out. Please zoom out. I don't know what's going on. I've had no long shots or wide shots, even medium shots. Like, zoom out and stop moving the camera around for the love of sweet God by a tripod. So director Uwe Boll was inspired to make this movie by a song by a band called Distant Second called Murder on Wall Street. And he wrote scenes in the movie to incorporate ideas from the song. So I thought it would be a good opportunity here for us to listen to a little of Murder on Wall Street. This is a live version, so let's let's take a little listen. This is a distant second. You can hear that they have a large crowd. Liam, you, you can certainly jump in because you are a vocalist yourself. You can see how there there, there could be some inspiration. It's very Rage Against the Machine. Actually, yeah, it's inspiration for me to want to top myself. Nothing <laughs> but mammals. <laughs> Is this like his nephew's band or some shit? Like, what the this fuck? This does sound like a song that would inspire a Uwe Boll movie. <laughs> we gotta listen to him say the chorus. The system's broken. That's it. Incorporate that into the movie. We're going to give this just another second. <laughs> Good Christ, Doug. Turn it off. <laughs> what the fuck? That literally sounds like one of the like awful... No budget movie uh, theme songs that I cover on my other podcast. Doug, I actually retract what I said previously. I'm glad you left it till the chorus because that was, <laughs> I knew I had to. <laughs> that was wonderful because he went, he went, murder. murder on Wall Street, murder on Wall Street. Like, it was completely he, he like, has to, that shows two sides of his character. You know, he's angry, <laughs> but he's sensitive and intelligent at the same time. I like you can just listen, like, Uwe Ball with his, with his, uh, uh, earbuds in with his iPod, and he's listening to this, yes, murder on wall. That yes. is a great idea. Let us do it. I like it. Let's make it happen. Kickstarter time. Um, <laughs> what I also don't understand about that recording is uh, what the sound was like in that venue because it sounded like a tape played through a stereo with a guy on a microphone just singing over the tape. Well, uh, that's no, what it I... was. That's how they do it. <laughs> We'll be sure to put the entire video on the show notes for this episode. Uh, let That's me talk where about they the... get the distant from in distant second. It's distant because <laughs> it sounds like they're recording it down a very long corridor in a shitty bathroom. So let's go over the plot of Assault on Wall Street. Jim, played by Dominic Purcell, is an average New Yorker. A charismatic Dominic Purcell. <laughs> he's an average New Yorker whose head is, I mean, it is massive, but he's average. And he lives, he actually works... <laughs> Works as a uh, as a security guard. He lives with a sick but loving wife. Suddenly, because of those fat cats, everything changes when the economy crashes and causes him to lose everything. Filled with anger and rage, Jim goes to seek revenge for the life taken from him. Now, from that plot, you might think this movie is pretty good. You might think that it's just a guy 
who in the first 20 minutes he loses like all of his money and maybe his wife dies uh, and he decides to go all Punisher on Wall Street bankers and shit like that. And then he'll spend like, you know, an hour murdering them in a variety of messy ways. That's not what this movie is. This movie is like 98% depressing, watching this guy's life fall apart. And then there's like 10 minutes of him uh, shooting people from afar. And then at the end, he does a short rampage leading into a confrontation with a, uh, I guess the guy he's targeted most of all as being the big banker asshole. Uh, But let's get your opinions on the movie. I think both of them are, they probably match up fairly closely. Let's start with you this time, Liam. What did you think of Assault on Wall Street? I was pretty stoked to watch this movie, uh, even though I, I wouldn't say I'm a bowl fan in any way, shape, or form. How about Minute but, Bowl? Yeah, well, okay, Minute Bowl, that's a whole other <laughs> issue. But um, but my feeling, I went into this hoping for, I don't know, one, perhaps two action scenes. Sure. Uh, you know, maybe some explosions. or Maybe a an couple assault of, of some sort. Yeah, some shootouts. I mean, basically... Uh, a guy goes through a lot of painful things that we have to watch, uh, and we have to watch an actor who doesn't know how to emote, like, go through those things. And then he finally decides to literally just murder three or four people. I mean, it's not – it's No, he it's, murders a whole office room at the yeah, end. Yeah, he does. Like yeah. Oh, that's true, at the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but even that, I mean, I guess the the hook of that scene is sort of the the ending and how he sets up the other gentlemen and how that all wraps up. I'm sure that sounded really uh, witty in whoever you know when when he was when Bull was writing it. I'm sure he thought like, oh yeah, no, that's really good. But watching it, there was nothing other than uh, wondering what exactly Edward Furlong was on in this movie. Nothing. Oh, and just every time I see Keith David, I smile. But other than that. Nothing appealed to me about this Keith film. Keith David from Christmas in Compton, uh, also starring Eric Roberts. Uh, this movie does have a really interesting cast, including Dominic Purcell desperately trying to restrain his British accent from uh, from uh, squeaking out. Well, the, the other thing do... about him is he was born in England, raised in Australia, has a Norwegian father and an Irish mother. So <laughs> I, he's kind of fucked on the accent front. And then he's attempting an American accent. <laughs> Like, like I am right now. Like I'm attempting, and no, I'm not really. <laughs> and we also have Edward Furlong from Terminator Two, John Hurd from a whole bunch of stuff like Cat People and Home Alone, Keith David, of course, Michael Pare, Eric Roberts, and uh, and also Clint Howard in a, a Blink and You'll Miss It. I don't scene like the way well. you skirted over Michael Pare. Then Michael Pare, sir, should be as. I love uh, Michael Bray. He's actually good in this. Really good. He is, but he does his normal angry misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. That's Michael right. Michael Bray, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so it's, it has a very interesting cast, as honestly most Uwe Boll movies do have a very interesting cast. But this movie is a fucking bummer, man. It is just a depression-a-thon and holds none of that what you were hoping for, Liam. I mean, you would think that for one thing it's whole core ideal uh, behind it maybe inspired by that lovely song we just heard uh is that the best way to deal with these bankers who are not properly punished for fucking up the US economy is to go out and murder a bunch of them which doesn't really i mean at the end of this movie can you really say that anything is better off than it was before uh, aside from a bunch of people being dead it's just a really weird power fantasy that doesn't even you don't even get to enjoy it because it's been so depressing beforehand. John, what did you think of Assault on Wall Street? 
I th- oh, I thought it was quite <laughs> possibly. I mean, yeah, it's thoroughly depressing, but it's it's utterly tedious, and um, it 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 has that it has that because it's not action packed because there's not like um uh, a, a driving through line to it. It's just endless, endless scenes of more and more um, negativity, depression, and you can. You know, the problem with the scenes as well is you can see Uwe Boll behind the typewriter or behind the whatever, <laughs> sitting there what with the TV on, with somebody blurting on about the Wall Street crisis and going, yeah, I should put that in the film as well. Oh, yeah, and while I'm at it, I'll do this. And it, it, it was just, it was almost like propaganda on, uh, so, like so much propaganda from Uwe Boll about the negativity on Wall Street. I started to side with the bankers, which, I, <laughs> you know, that's how bad it was. Um, and and the other the other thing that is absolutely unforgivable is although you watch this guy go through his entire like collapse breakdown of his entire existence right up to the utterly utterly ludicrous thing of when he's finally lost all the money his wife who is sick and continues to need um, uh, expensive private health care to deal with her cancer mm-hmm. her brain cancer she kills herself. Yes, she right. does. So it really gets to absolute ludicrous point. I mean, you know, there's so he's all... wasted. He's wasted every cent that he has. Right, he has loses put himself in job. poverty. Yeah, and then she kills herself. Then she kills herself. So it 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 really goes to absolute ludicrous lengths. But after all that, to have him go into an office building and and you know me, Doug, I watch action movies. I love action mm-hmm. movies. I watch action movies. I I'm happy. I don't. You have need... some sort of podcast about action. Right, movies. exactly. I don't need any explanation <laughs> other than. He's one of the bad guy hoods, or he's like a rendezvous, and I'm fine with Jason Snatham snapping his neck repeatedly. I don't care if he has a family or kids, whatever, it doesn't bother me. (laughs) I'm happy with Jason Statham killing him. In this movie, when he went into the office block at the end, while I despise everything Wall Street did, while I probably politically on one on one side of it, 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 I would agree with a lot of what Obey Ball is saying, Mm -hmm. um, I actually felt kind of queasy. Like yeah. being expected to side with this guy who's answer obviously to all disturbed, of this. Right? right? I mean, obviously mentally so fucked up at that point. Whose answer to uh, all this is to go into a room and just kill a vast wave of people? At least I thought at the very end um, that he was going to have some level of comeuppance, and/or when he does get away <laughs> with it a la taxi driver, when he gets away with it at the end, a la taxi driver, stopping it, like saying, okay, that was my stand, that was my moment, but now I know I can go forward and blah, 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 learning something from it. But no, Uwe Boll doubles down, and when he gets away from it, at the very end, he's like, people better know that I'm out there because I'm coming for them, and I will never stop killing. So like at the end of the movie, I've been asked to, despite all the shitty shit that's happened to him, and I'm not discounting that i'm being asked to side with and applaud someone Mm -hmm. who wants to go off and be a mass murderer and for some reason when ray stevenson does it in the punisher i completely (laughs) accept it but when dominic i have absolutely no charisma i i I have less charisma than keanu reeves uh purcell acting in this movie um i feel queasy and awful when he says that at the end i don't i don't side with it at all which is is just odd considering what i'm used to watching but i can only put it down to uve Boll's um 
uh, awful writing and directing. The well, last... it's also the case that this isn't really an action movie, right? right? Because if it was an action movie framework, then you'd probably be able to accept it. Look, even though I have a moral issue with how they're presenting this, if it was start to finish, like Punisher Warzone, where he's just murdering Wall Street right. bankers and people like all throughout the movie... I could get down with that, right? right? Because it would be ludicrous, but it would be fun. And it's like, you know, it's it's like filling your movie full of Nazis. You're not going to have much sympathy for the people. But here, it's it's put out so slowly and so deliberately that you almost do feel a little sympathy for these people just because you know that they're at the mercy of this complete madman. Well, nobody, who, needs, nobody deserves to be shot point blank. Right, I don't really exactly. understand like, or care what they've done. But like uh, uh, by the, the end of the movie... I mean, I care what they did in real life, but but I believe in the process of law, naively or not. I believe in the process <laughs> of law, and I believe that the people should, you know, stand trial and 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 be arrested. Um, but the um, in reality, and I said, and like I agree with you, if this was like Punisher Warzone, and he was, or I think a better example, considering Ray Stevenson has charisma coming out of his ears, whereas Purcell doesn't. Something like Exterminator and Exterminator 2. Ginty, sure. I love Ginty, mm-hmm. but Ginty has absolutely right. no like personality at all. Like Robert Ginty is a vacuum with a weird face. But when you put a gun or a blowtorch or you know, a pair of pliers or whatever in Ginty's hand, <laughs> I'm all for it, right? I'm just following Ginty and I'm with Ginty and Ginty all the way. So if he had done it like Exterminator 2 or something, um, uh, with Purcell, that would I I could have watched that, and and also the other problem with it as well in terms of the way it's structured is that we're all used to in a movie like a one-two punch, meaning a bad thing happens, right? Then a second bad thing happens, then he's out for vengeance, right? Mm-hmm. So by the second act, he has become the vigilante and by the third act he's going to take down the big guy right but like by the second act he's already become the vigilante this had two and a half (laughs) acts of nothing of him drifting around so as a movie watcher i don't care what more they're going to heap on i don't care that his he loses his job and the bank gets forecloses on his house and his wife kills himself whatever at that point i'm already like get on with it you know do it already like let's have- <laughs> that's right there is a prolonged montage in this movie where he pins up and unpins and then repins <laughs> bits of paper onto a wall that's all he does he takes paper out of a magazine pins it up onto a wall we already know who these people are we already know that he hates Wall Street. None of this is relevant to the plot at all. He takes it out of a magazine, pins it onto a wall, takes it down, goes to a hotel, <laughs> and pins it back up onto the wall again. That takes up 20 minutes of the movie. Liam, oh. we got to go back to you for a second because John did briefly mention the movie's end. Now, uh, spoiler alert, Assault on Wall Street has a really fucking dumb ending that is p- partially borrowed from Taxi Driver, no doubt about it. Uh, could you, Liam, explain the ending to the listeners? Well, he mounts, he goes from randomly killing people to mount a larger assault. And he gets to the the boss's room. Uh, to like, <laughs> it's a video game, I guess. Yeah. I mean, basically, the, the guy who we are to believe is solely responsible. Uh, sure, for the entire Like, like a major character. It's yeah, yeah ba- that's exactly ba- right. Basically, although, well, I'll get to that, but... Basically, he gets there and he concocts a scenario where it appears to the police that this gentleman is the one who's actually been doing all the shooting. 
not him because he had a mask on and he has his hands up and the cops burst in. He somehow perfectly figures out when the cops are going to burst in, how to yep. have this guy have his gun, and then, you know, the He cops... knows he's going to be able to walk through the building afterwards, a building full of people yeah. who, who, even though they don't know his face necessarily, they certainly know that he's not the boss. Right. And he's going to be able to walk out and... Literally walk away from the entire scene. Even less believable because he cannot manage an American accent. So they were <laughs> they could easily be like, I don't know, he sounded funny. And or they could not have pointed out the size away. of his neck. Not just walking yeah, size of it. Not just walking away from a massive crime scene, but walking into a building in the first place. I mean, look, I didn't expect this to be realistic anyway, but I happen to live in New York and I happen to have had to go into big buildings on Wall Street and around that area. No Ooh, big, la la. no big office building in New York can you get into without at least three levels of security. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like this right. is the city in which a massive tragedy happened in an office building. So like office buildings have insane levels of security, like just crazy levels of security. People who work every single day with the same security guard in the same building as I do right now, we have to show our security badges to him every single time we go in and out of the elevator, even though he knows us by name. So like, there's not even any like person to person trust. Security is high. There is no walking into an office building in a mask with a bag full of shotguns <laughs> and getting on the elevator all calmly while nobody notices. That's pretended, not happening. How did he pretend to be the janitor? It seemed for at least a couple of days he, he was able to do it and like go from place to place. You think someone would say, hey, that's not the regular janitor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who is that seven foot <laughs> yeah, hulking, hulking fucking man? guy with an English, Australian, Norwegian accent well, even shuffling in, about in the end, with when it? He's, when he's walking away, they, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, that's his cop friend, right? Like we're supposed yeah. to get the idea that his friend sees him. Probably mm -hmm. knows, oh, you're the guy who just murdered all these people, but says, yeah, he figures it out. Well, we do have brunch together on a regular basis, so yeah. I guess I'll just let you, do you go. You go to a shitty diner where I'm able to perv over the waitress and you say nothing. Because that's basically mm -hmm. the, the, like, Michael Pere and Keith David play two cops who go to a diner every day where there is a young, attractive waitress. And Edward Furlong and Dominic Purcell play two overweight security guards. And the four right. of them, even though cops and security guards would never hang out together in reality, That's right. I would imagine, because <laughs> they would look at them as just like renter cops or whatever. But anyway, mm -hmm. they all sit down on a diner together. They're all thick as thieves, best of friends. They all know each other's goings on. Everyone knows that Michael Perry's wife is cheating on him. Another bit of irrelevant information we don't need, mm -hmm. but it's repeatedly brought up. Um, and uh, that Dominic Purcell's wife is ill and all the rest of it. We all know everything about them, and they only go there not because the food's any good, but because the waitress is attractive. Um, and uh, at one sorry, point just to interrupt you just for a second, John. I love that this movie, you know, it targets the real criminals, the Wall Street bankers, and uh, but we have to have sympathy for you know New York City cops right. who are who are so beloved right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although to be fair, when this movie was made. Well, no, it was only made a couple of years ago. So, yeah, yeah, they was... <laughs> yeah, sadly, the NYPD gone down in a lot of people's estimation in the last 10 years. But um, uh, so they're in this diner and he makes a joke. Well, it's not really a joke because it's Dominic Purcell. It just sounds the same monotone that everything else he says sounds like. <laughs> but he says, oh, that's me. I'm the one doing all the killings. 
Um, and they all look at him for a bit, and then they all go, <laughs> you're having us on, you wise-cracking goof. And then, <laughs> which he isn't at all. Right, um, and he's been traumatized right. for, like, the entire movie, and they know it as well. But then they all start to share looks with each other, apart right. from Perret, to be fair, who goes back to eating and ogling the waitresses. <laughs> um, Lovable rogue that he yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Keith and Furlong... <laughs> start to give each other looks and give uh, Purcell looks. So at the end, when he comes limping out of the office building and Perret and Keith are there, you know, they're meant to put two and two together and be like, oh, so he really wasn't joking and our hunch was right, um, but we're just going to let him go anyway, which just seems utterly bizarre. Quality police work there, guys. <laughs> but oh, Well, I mean, I suppose Keith David did lose like $1,800 on something, he said. <laughs> That's around the right. table. That's a reason Liam. enough for 20 people to get gunned down in an office building while they're just doing their jobs, you know? <laughs> Liam, Eric Roberts, in fact, at that point, they don't even know how many people he's killed and how many possible innocent people he's killed. Um, he throws Liam, two Eric- grenades into a building. Like- <laughs> anyway. Liam, Eric Roberts plays a character without a first name, Lawyer Patterson. He's the lawyer that Dominic Purcell's character goes to to try to help uh, from getting these increased fees because of mortgage eh, it doesn't matter but anyway eric roberts character is kind of a scumbag a typical lawyer not like overtly an asshole like he was in shannon's rainbow but more like a regular lawyer type asshole isn't it weird that we never see him getting revenge on eric roberts character it is inconsistent i mean first of all you're canadians you don't know we in america we call lawyers just lawyer they don't have first names we just call them lawyer in their last name. So, what about know. Jim the Hammer Shapiro? No, that. But once he's at his function, you just call him lawyer. No. What uh, about Jenny Crane? I. It was really. It was really <laughs> ambiguous as to whether I couldn't tell whether we were supposed to think Eric Roberts was somehow ripping him off or right. Treating, you know what I mean? Or if he's just one sort of part of the system, man. He's part of the system, but how much is he to blame? Well, I mean, but this is the whole thing, right? Like. It's so clear that uh, Bull really doesn't understand what happened. Like, right? doesn't really have a clear view. So whatever firm that uh, that Dominic Purcell's characters put his money with, like, that's not the whole problem. Like, that's one spot that might have <laughs> screwed him a little bit. But it's so much bigger than that. In the same way, like... It's like he just forgets about Eric. You know, is Eric Roberts part of the problem? Is that part of the problem? Well, it doesn't really matter. He just got to be smart. He got to be a smarmy lawyer. And he I think that's. He fixates on the district attorney. Like he goes after the yeah. assistant yeah. district attorney. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. Like, I don't even understand what that is. I'm, I assume it's just because they couldn't. Uh, maybe Eric Roberts just had to leave. Like they only had him for a few shots and then he had to go to shoot another movie. I don't know. But it would have been great if Sam Watterson played the district attorney yeah. in the one scene in this fucking movie that gets barreled down by a fucking taxi. <laughs> yeah, that would have been incredible. I, I like I said, because um, later on in the movie, uh, I, Kim, um, my lady said while we were watching it, she goes, oh, is he going to go after Eric Roberts or whatever? And I was like, they couldn't afford to get Eric Roberts back for one day. <laughs> and also the, the, the other thing is that um, – the one positive, the one positive in this whole shitty, shitty, shitty turd of a movie, the whole positive in it is that he uses squibs rather than yeah. CGI blood. There, there's some CGI blood on, on some of the sniper scenes. Uh, yeah, okay, the headshot, definitely. But yeah. like 
when he goes into the office building, it's all squibs. And I'm a big mm. fan of squibs. Like, I just love squibs, especially love watching actors <laughs> deal with them in slow motion while they're going off, while also trying to remind themselves, oh, yeah, I meant to be dying. I absolutely love that. And so I would probably have assumed that they said to Eric Roberts, so we're going to give you a, a whole chest full of squibs. And Eric went, nope. And walked away. Sorry, <laughs> I got to shoot some episodes of Suits. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go off and uh, uh, steal a horse or something. Anyway. <laughs> Gentlemen, we've run out of time, so we need to get down to brass tacks. John Cross, does this movie confirm or refute the idea that Eric Roberts is the fucking man? Oh, no, Eric Roberts is the fucking man, and he's the fucking man in this movie because he has the best moment, which is taking a whole wadge of greasy... Uh, money off uh, Purcell <laughs> thumbing through it with sheer delight and then cash like cash money cash, yeah, <laughs> casually uh, thumbing through this big wad of what's meant to be 10 grand in cash he just thumbs <laughs> through it with his greasy slimy lawyer thumb slides it casually into his top drawer and then goes well that's my money like the whole <laughs> thing about it was absolute brilliance and I would say that if it was uh, in my mind him and uh, Keith David uh, make this movie. But beyond that, don't watch this movie. Anyone listening to this, never watch this movie. Never. And Edward Furlong, who looks like he's come off a thousand-day bender when they made this fucking movie. Uh, Liam, fucking man or no? Uh, yeah, I mean, it hurts me to say yes, only because it hurts me to say anything positive about this movie. <laughs> but yeah, Eric Roberts, I mean, he's slimy. I, I really think... Part of the failure of the movie is I think he would have had an awesome death scene. I think it would have been really he probably would have had like a like a like a cryptic line or he would have been angry about being killed. It would have been really sick. All right. Well, I'll create I'll create a consistency on this episode and say, yes, Eric Roberts is, of course, the fucking man. That's two for two on this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Episode 19. Let's go to take our final break. Uh, listen to a little bit more of John Cross's music. And when we return, let's do some plugs. Don't hold back, let them all hear what you have to say. Embrace uncertainty each and every day. It can be alright. Shannon's Rainbow and Assault on Wall Street. Two more Eric Roberts classics here on Eric Roberts is a fucking man, episode 19. I want to give a massive thanks to Mr. John Cross for... Honestly, this was a, a really good time, John. It's been a long time since we've been able to podcast together. I've made a few appearances on your podcast, some contentious appearances, <laughs> one might say. John John likes to have me on when he really wants to fight about whether a movie yeah. is good or not. Uh, but it was, it's been a real pleasure having you on, uh, getting to listen to your lovely... <laughs> I feel like I've talked over uh, both of you way too much, and I do apologize about that. No, but... no. Believe me, I'm tired, so this is just uh, helping me out. So I know I apologize <laughs> for that. But no, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, lovely to uh, meet you over the airways, Liam. And um, uh, wonderful to be on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. What a great podcast. Uh, I was making, I 
jokingly said that I was going to claim that I was going to sue Doug for the idea um, because, uh, I mean, on Mo's podcast, on my podcast, on multiple podcasts, I've had running jokes about Eric Roberts and the fact that he does like 85 movies a year or whatever. Um, him and Danny Trejo are in a constant battle to see how many they can do. Um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, no, though, Doug, uh, certainly with the, um, uh, the uh, passion and knowledge uh, that you and Liam bring to the subject of Eric Roberts. Um, I think you are by far the gentleman for the job. And uh, and uh, long may this continue. Well, as I was going to say just a moment ago before you were so very nice, uh, to paraphrase a non-Eric Roberts movie, if you had created Eric Roberts is the fucking man, you would have created Eric Roberts is the fucking man. <laughs> but I created it. <laughs> John, if people want to hear more of your lovely voice or experience more of your personality in the world, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, everything, absolutely everything can be found on www.aftermoviediner.com. That's aftermoviediner.com. And everything is there. Links to my social media, uh, links to my podcasts, articles, videos, music, uh, everything. There's tabs along the top. Uh, spend a day. Uh, bookmark the website and uh, find out all about what we do over there. Um, I'm doing yet another push. Every kind of six months I kind of go through the fade because it's just me at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the uh, keyboard just hammering away trying to <laughs> put content up and uh, I'm doing another push now so um, anyone anyone listening uh, or, or either you or Liam uh, Doug want to write an article do a video make a song have an opinion um, write a review whatever it is if you want to contribute to the After Movie Diner you can uh, contact me at aftermoviediner at gmail.com otherwise just go there bookmark the website and enjoy the diner is open folks go over and contribute Liam O'Donnell second episode is our permanent co-host here today what are you doing in the world well, you can basically find everything that I'm doing as well uh, at Cinepunks, um, or uh, I update a lot, obviously, at my Twitter, uh, at Liam Rules, that's R-U-L-Z. Uh, sometimes people spell it properly and they miss out. Um, Fuckers. Yeah. What the fuck are you thinking? I spell rules with a Z. It's America, motherfucker. No, uh, no uh, uh, yeah, but Cinepunks, we are adding new shows. We've had some more folks writing new stuff. So, you know, tell your friends, buy a t-shirt. It's cool. Yeah. And of course you actually just recently added a new podcast to your uh, network. Is that correct? We did. We have a show. It's, it's, you know, it, it's not actually recorded as a podcast, but we're putting it out there as a podcast. There's a project called loud fast Philly uh, by Joe Gervasi. <laughs> and a lot of people, <laughs> what the heck was that? There's a lot of people who know Joe Gervasi. Uh, he is part of the film collective in Philly called exhume films that does horror and exploitation movies only on uh, film. He was part of the cabbage collective that booked a lot of shows in the Philadelphia area. Uh, he runs diabolic DVD with uh, another guy named Jesse Nelson. And uh, the project he's doing right now, lad fast Philly is just a historical record of punk in Philadelphia, just interviewing people from bands and people who book shows young, old, but just like an ongoing history, but it hasn't been on iTunes. It hasn't existed as like a podcast for people mm -hmm. to access that way. So, uh, we're partnering with him to put that up. And he's someone who's helped us out on Cinepunks a lot. We've gotten quite a few interviews and he's been on the show before both as a guest, but also as a co-interviewer for stuff. So. And of course, if you love the Philadelphia punk scene, you need to hang on to the end of this episode to hear Liam Perform. No, you don't. No. <laughs> and I have to mention, actually, very, 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 very quickly. Sure. 
Clint Howard, who we kind of glossed over because we were running out of time, but Clint Howard, who's in Assault on Wall Street, I recently did a two-hour interview mm -hmm. with Clint Howard in which he does actually talk about working with Uwe Boll. So uh, if people want more Uwe Boll, Clint Howard stuff, you can find that at the diner as well. And also, uh, just to finish up, one last plug, the music you've been hearing on this show, um, I hope everyone liked it, but... Uh, it is going to be available um, the end of this week, next week. When this show goes out, it will be already be available um, by Miscellaneous Plumbing Fixtures. That's the name of my band, Miscellaneous <laughs> Plumbing Fixtures. It'll be on Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, uh, and all over um, my website. So again, hit up AfterMovieDiner.com when you hear this episode, and you'll be able to listen to all the songs, not just the three on the show, but all the songs from my new album. And we'll link that in the show notes as well. In fact, if you want to check out those show notes, go over to ericrobertsistheman.com. You can also uh, follow on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M or go over on Facebook and look up Eric Roberts is the Man uh, to get a little bit of behind-the-scenes info there. You can find me, my writing, over at dailygrindhouse.com and me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And you can find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at nobudgetpodcast.com. But, gentlemen, I think it's time for us to say goodbye. It's time for us to sit back and enjoy a little Liam-led music to close yeah. out this episode. No. No, Woo! I think that's the case. <laughs> uh, please join us in another two weeks when we'll be talking about two more Eric Roberts films. A lot of exciting stuff coming up in 2016. A lot of interesting guests. Please stay with us. Please stay yourself. Please keep watching Eric Roberts. Good night, everybody.